Before we get rolling with today's episode, I have a very small favor to ask. If you get any value whatsoever from our episodes of the Enterprise Fitness Podcast, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. You see, our mission here at Enterprise Fitness is to empower as many people as possible with their health, fitness, and training. And we believe the best way to do that is with education. That's why week after week, we continue to put these episodes on and try and jam pack them with as much valuable information as possible. So hope you enjoy today's show, so much so that you wanna leave us a review. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the show that punches you in the face with information. Welcome to the Enterprise Fitness Podcast. My name is Mark Tobri, owner and founder of Enterprise Fitness. I am joined by Cristiano Colla and Heming Hu. So in this episode, we are gonna be getting into what it's like to go to the Olympics, the Olympic journey. Everyone say, ooh. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> so there's only one of us on this table who's been to the Olympics. Cristiano. Yeah. <laughs> you see my tattoo? Yeah. Heming, you apparently, rumor has it on the grapevine, you've been to the Olympics. Yeah, apparently. Um, How many times? Twice. Twice? Yeah. Yeah, and I heard that they gave you these bags full of Olympic clothes. Yeah. Can we start there? Still has it. Yeah. So the uh, on the second last night there, they all would happen both times. They'd actually put up a sign. Uh, we normally want you guys to come first, but tonight it's okay to come second. And then there was a bunch of uh, <laughs> a bunch of gifts there. That's hilarious, but that's not what I was talking about. <laughs> I thought it was. No, they gave you bags of clothes, right? Oh yeah, yeah, the ridiculous amounts, like more than you could ever need 40 45 kilos both olympics mm. unreal 45 kilos of clothes 45 so this kilos is before of clothes. you got to the olympic village i went to the one in i went to rio 2016 they yeah we went to sydney just to pick it up tokyo they gave it to us there because of all the covid rules and all that so but can you describe this bag of clothes because i'm fascinated by it because you said it was like 45 kilos yeah so before rio we went to sydney and they were like they gave us two or three suitcases full and in those suitcases you had tons of bags you had just loaded with clothes so so everything from like socks jocks jocks chants tops village wear you had to obviously be in the gear at all times and competition shirts what competition do you mean at shorts. all time so every from morning to night every time you're in the village the whole olympic olympic experience you're going to be in the australian kit right that's why they gave you 45 kilos of clothes yeah. And you do wash, do you wash those? You don't wash them? Well, <laughs> there's, there's laundry. Uh, there was always a huge queue for it. But uh, yeah, I tried to wash it as much as I could. You didn't wash it, did you? I'm a bit of a smelly bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but you had enough clothes to last you through, right? It was pretty hot because... No, you didn't. You just smelled nah, like shit. Yeah, I smelled like shit the whole... Um, every every f- f- five or six days. Oh, wow. That's no one will go, no, no one will go near you. So, yeah. opening ceremony. You were there for the opening ceremony? I was there in Rio. I was there in Rio. Didn't go to the one in Tokyo. Um, Let's talk about Rio. Well, the Rio, the opening ceremony was unreal. As a kid, obviously, I, as a kid, I was watching Nadal, Djokovic. I was very into the tennis, watching a lot of like Maurice Green, these 100 meter sprinters as well. I, I would look at them. I would look at. I would watch the opening ceremony. Look at these guys on TV. Look at the flag holders and just be like, "Wow, that is so cool." I want my parents to be watching me one day on that. So walking out was, yeah, it was a surreal experience in Brazil. Right. So it's just like stadium full, 50,000 people. I don't know how many, 50,000? How many? People? Can't remember the number. Remember. A lot, a lot. And yeah. you're walking out, like the whole marching process took about an hour. But there's a huge build up for that. And you're walking out amongst like Sam Stozer, 
people that I grew up idolizing. You're walking out amongst them. You're doing a whole lap around a big football stadium, soccer stadium. And then you've got fans raving. You know you're on TV. The next day, you, your friends, your family, they all post on social media saying, wow, I saw you on TV last night. Um, so and cool. what was that for you like personally? Like if you said that's where you wanted to be, you want your folks to see you walk out. I mean, that must have been pretty big. To be honest, I actually felt as a kid, that was my biggest fantasy. But actually, when I first did that, I actually cared more about if the girl that I was seeing at that time saw me or not. <laughs> as I started to progress through my telephonist career, me and my parents are great now, but often I felt quite disconnected from family because... Yeah, going out there, actually, I cared more about what my, my friends were thinking. If my friends and, and people that I was going to school and university with w- would see me at that opening ceremony. How old were you? 20, I was 20 at the first, 20 or 21 at the first, first Olympics. All right, so let's talk about the Olympic journey, right? How old are you when you first make your first Olympics? I would have been, I would have been 21. All right, so 21-year-old Hemming going back some years. You train and train and train. You win a state title, you win a national title, you win an international title, you win Commonwealth Games. Am I on track with this? No. Fill in the blanks for me. I didn't win any Commonwealth Games. So. Okay. You go to the Commonwealth Games. What age did you start to play table tennis? Started at six. But you, you went to the Commonwealth Games. I went to the Commonwealth Games. How many games. times did you go? Twice. Twice. So you go to the Commonwealth Games, you don't quite get a medal, but you made it to the team. And then these Olympic qualifier. And you've got to beat everyone in Australia, basically, to get on the Olympic team. Is that correct? Correct. So all this whole process is they're pretty monumental milestones in and of themselves. Yeah, and I think that the feeling that came with the whole the journey of what happened and who I became in that journey was a lot more meaningful than I mean, stepping out there in that opening ceremony, getting my Olympic clothes, seeing my idols at the Olympics, that was a fantastic experience. But that's ultimately the icing on the cake of what yeah. really was the beef behind what I got. That's the gift for doing the hard work. Correct. Getting onto the Olympic team. How, firstly, so we know, how many people make it onto a table tennis Olympic team? So far, there's probably, we get we get magazines every year for saying how many there are. And I think the last one was like 5,366. No, it's in like per year. You don't take 5,000. Oh, well, every four, every four years, probably 400. 400 table tennis players go? No, no, 400 athletes. Yeah, three, three Three table, three men and three women. Oh, that's what I'm asking. And how? And you probably have, they screen it out. You probably have like 15 in the 15 male, 15 men in the mix. Who are possible to go? Yeah. And only four, three or four, three go? Only three. For each go. country? For Australia. Yes. For each country, okay. yes. Yeah, each country. So, so three. So we're really only taking, and it's any age. There's no weight it's, classes. No, 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 no age. Yes. And they actually made it three because... They actually cut it down because, well, it's always been three, but now only two can play singles at the Olympics because China used to take all the gold, silver, and bronze. So international telephone has had to do something to get, to stop China winning all the medals. Funny story. That's funny. So in all of Australia, there is only three places to go on this team to table. So it's very, 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 very competitive to get onto the team. Yeah. So... What was it like when you made your first Olympic team? Tell us about that process. Were you surprised? Were you like, yeah, I've got this. No one's going to beat me. I'm hemming who? Pe- people, and I think sometimes I can project like a bit of arrogance, but I, I was always way more sensitive and-, and way more insecure than people thought. When I first made the Olympics, I was like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to go through that again. Like, thank, thank fuck I've made it. Like, I- that's gone. I don't have to 
then go through that same process and obviously not look I wasn't looking ahead to four years thinking like you know what's it going to feel like going through that pressure of not knowing again I was just thankful I made it and I was at that very moment I was like whoa this whole doing this my whole childhood was worth it like all those times where I felt like giving up I didn't give up doesn't sound like you were really that elated though you weren't like I was very elated you know so I, I remember Hua and Christine my sister-in-law and my brother were um were watching this was a really grueling trials i was living overseas two years before that my, my ranking had dropped because i hadn't been in australia and i was always a feisty kid i'd rang and it cost a lot of money i was ringing from sweden ringing the national coach saying how am i ranked seventh in australia now what's going on so there was a lot of angst there was a lot of for me personally there was a lot to prove when i finally won that last point that confirmed me as, as the first qualifier for, for so the Rio the games. the first qualifier as well. I was the first person. I wasn't, but I was the first person to know that I was going to the Olympics for sure. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So it was huge for you. It was like it was huge. huge. I was bawling my eyes out. Oh, you, you out, s- out of joy. Yeah. Yeah. So you make the team. You go to Rio. It's this, I hope every world is watching me. This is my moment. What are your expectations at the Olympics? At the Olympics, we were always just happy to be there. Um, we wanted to enjoy. My family and friends were there, so I, I wanted to play the best I could. Uh, but ultimately, I didn't have the pressure to win or not. And I think that like, that may be seen as a good thing because you enjoy it, but it also could be what held me back from actually potentially winning those matches. How did you do it in the Olympics? What did you, like, how did you do it against, say, the Swedes or the Romanians? <laughs> we we, <laughs> we Romania, the Romanian the team, I don't know. No, we came ninth. In, I was in the team event. I was in the, the doubles and not the singles for both of them because... I lost those matches when it came to qualifying singles, but we lost to Hong Kong, we lost to Japan the next time. We weren't, we weren't really disappointed. We so you weren't playing singles? Feeling. No. You were playing doubles? Was playing, that was disappointing because, because only two per country can go and you can't have three well, per were country. You, were you the third wheel? As in like, was the other two preferred to play the singles other than you? So we had a first. We had first a trials to see who would make the team, right. and then within that, you'd play off for positions one and two to see who plays as singles. I see. Um, and in both of those times, I won well, the first time. I really wasn't as good as those two. In the second time, I was going through. Um, I, I lost those those crucial matches, which rather which was rather disappointing. Um, but when I look back at it now, it's like. The fact that you were able to go to two was cool. I interrupt this podcast to give you a very special message. December, we are running an Elite Results Bootcamp. What is the Elite Results Bootcamp? It is a three-day bootcamp where we teach our systems around strength, hypertrophy, and fat loss. It is intense. There are six workouts over the three days, and our trainers not only spill the beans on all the techniques, methods, systems that we use to get next-level results, we take you through actual workouts so you can experience in real time. If you're a client, if you're someone who's interested in Enterprise Fitness, or if you're a trainer looking to level up, check out our course, Enterprise Fitness Academy, and click on Elite Results. Is it harder to play the double than the single? It's, it's a lot harder for me because I've never been a great doubles, yeah. double specialist. What's the main difference? The main difference is, especially if you're a tall, or I'm not a tall, super tall guy, but in singles, you can strategize everything yourself. In doubles, you've got to stra- you've got to move around each other, take one shot each, and, and you've got to really strategize of how you're going to beat the opponent's patterns and how you're going to create patterns for you and your partner. Mm. So it's it's there's an art to it for sure. And the, I mean, watching the ball, how fast it moves. If you your brother has said, if you serve the way you serve, you won't hit the ball back. 
No, no. And people think I do have a far a great hand-eye coordination. It's certainly not bad. Huaz is actually better. It's just because I've played the game so many times. Now I realize when I try to teach clients, they don't get it straight away. I know I've done it so much that I know when someone hits it this way, it's probably this spin. If I do that, then the possibilities are that and that and that. It's so subconscious. I just know exactly when someone does something, what's going to happen. Did you get to play China? I played him a few times, yeah. And how did how did you go? Not pretty. <laughs> Not well. Did you, were you able to return their serves? Um, so styles is a huge thing. I was always like reasonably competitive, but not able to win when the close moments came. Whereas there's been some Europeans where if the style didn't match up, it was really nasty. What do you mean nasty? If someone may be 30 in the world, but if I didn't like his style, he'd really make me feel like shit. He'd really crush me apart. If you didn't like his style, what do you mean by style? So someone might be more of a calculator player, more of a touchy feel player. And they're more like readers of the game. Whereas a lot of the Chinese players are good at that, but they're more, they just do what, they just do what I do, but at a better level. They're more of the attacking type. So you feel like you're in the rallies. You can maybe even get six or seven points a set, but you're never going to get to that 11 before them. Because when the crunch moments come, they've got more solidity at that quality. Isn't that like a psychological thing or like a mental? I think it is. And I think, I think a lot of, even a lot of athletes don't really, they don't know where to go to help to, to really break through their own barriers. Yeah. So yes, a lot of the times the Chinese players will come on tour and just their pure presence will, that'll, that'll win them a lot of matches. Mm. Just some players could have won those matches, but seeing another red outfit. They just um, win before the game, yeah? Yeah, they're, they're already. So how much of table tennis is psychological? I think when the levels are close enough, probably 80%. Right. But obviously if, like if the levels are different, then zero. So you got to play against like casually. Like, hey man, do you want to play when you're at the Olympics, I imagine? you could just play the best in the world then you'd spar against them so to speak yeah 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 was there any countries that were surprisingly consistently good compared to others i think china obviously yeah <laughs> um germany was was ridiculously underrated i think for france was cons- ridiculously underrated um korea japan th- those are the big so big are you games. saying like say like the europeans say like germany for example they could crush you or they would, the Chinese would crush them? The Chinese would crush them because those guys were on tour every single week or every two weeks. Over the long term, over the span of playing each other 20, 30 times, um, yeah, the, the top Chinese are really, they're in a league of their own. Do you think it's, uh, it's body composition as well? Is, do you think that's a factor? Like the structure Ooh, no, of uh, a really Chinese? So before the second Olympics, I was kind of feeling the end of my career. And that's when I was going out a lot. And then randomly, I got a call mid, because um, we were going through COVID lockdowns. Randomly, 2021, April, a player at Hua came to watch me as a brotherly love kind of thing. He just sat me down and said, man, you got too much body fat on. You're moving too slow. And I never really had Hua work with me and a good trainer that uh, someone who really works with you one-on-one, knows what they're doing. Uh, and we stripped off about, we stripped off like eight, eight, nine kilos. Wow. Then I was in the best shape of my life. And that got me realizing, oh, what wow, happened? this is all too late. I was in the best form of my life. I was ready. I really backed myself to be national singles champion again for the second time. But COVID obviously canceled that national championships. That was annoying. So you make the Olympics, Rio, done and dusted. I mean, what, uh, there's rumors around parties, around Rio. You, know, you had, what was that, a swimmer? Um, Do you get any got, surprises got in Rio? Yeah, well, there was, um, so you had to leave 48 hours after you played. Oh, really? And yeah. So the second, that, that was a bit annoying. 
So I haven't been to any closing ceremony, but I remember obviously Australia was very strict with the mask rules and I took was a photo. It, but in Rio though, Rio there was no... Rio, I was still very gone through my nerdy Asian, little Asian nerdy phase. So I, I didn't really, what, what were girls? or anything like that. Tokyo is when I started to really start to rebel against rules. So, so basically, you're at Rio, right? And you play, last just, game you play, 48 hours, you're out. No, no there was no rule there. So I just, I went straight to Germany because I signed a contract to, to play for a team for oh, nine so you, months. You didn't get to see the closing ceremony? No, I, that was out of choice just because I... Um, so there was no wild I parties for you. You were on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was straight and narrow there. Tokyo, you had to leave 48 hours. With your 45 kilos of clothes. That's With my 45 kilos of clothes. And no deodorant. And <laughs> never washed. <laughs> what, what did the custom officer say as you went through? <laughs> Fuck, man, you stink. <laughs> this guy, he's like, an athlete. They tell fucking me so- stink. Tell me something I don't know. No, I, I shipped a lot of them home. So it was, quite, it was actually quite a, quite a process. I shipped, a right. lot of, I shipped a lot of it back home. Went to Germany. Played full-time there. <laughs> did you wash it when you shipped it home? <laughs> <laughs> I hope, hey, I hope folks, my Here's some clothes that stink. <laughs> All the best. I hope my parents did. <laughs> but no, I, that one, I went back and missed a lot of things. I was happy. That's what made me so good as well. I was happy to miss out on dating anyone. I was happy to miss out on parties. I was happy to miss out on events. I dedicated a lot of years to living in Europe, living in Asia, Locked just in. to play tennis, just to be the best player that I could. How many years? I lived overseas six years in total. Oh, really? Like, I really count five, six years in total. Where'd you live? Did my VCE years in, in Asia, in China. Oh, did you? Um, so, so again, I, I missed out on the Youth Olympics by a point. Literally bawled my eyes out for like two months straight. And my parents, most, they were more flexible than a lot of Asians, but they were very like, they had in mind that I was going to quit in VCE, like every other Asian kid, and focus on study, quit table tennis. They had this all or nothing mentality. But then they saw how much I wanted it. And they, at some level, knew that he has a dream to chase. This could be good. Let's actually give him a shot. Why did you want it? Why did I want what? Why did you, you want the, the Olympic dream? I wanted to prove to my... Because as a kid growing up, Asian wasn't easy. Asian I, I, wasn't easy. No, growing up, Asian was you not easy. You mean being Asian wasn't easy? Being Asian wasn't easy either. I see, English like, isn't easy for you either. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, but being Asian wasn't easy in, you know, like a bit of racism still existed. And I was that kid that still shat my pants at nine years old. And this is something that... Um, you know, it, has its, it had its goods. But kids at school, teachers would ring my parents and say, there's something wrong with your boy. He's, there's something that other kids have that he doesn't. And that really aggravated me a lot. That really made me want to prove that, no, I do have, like, I wanted to prove that I'm special. And quickly, I, re- I felt, fell in love with table tennis in that you could go to a tournament, lose to a certain guy, but if you worked hard and really improved, you could be better than that guy next time. Or you could beat him on any given day. Or you could lose. That sort of stuff inspired me to be like, I want to be the best player I could be. And slowly I got onto that journey and then making the Olympics, whether I, real, I didn't realize it as a kid, but it was that way to then prove to myself that I can, put, I can do something that I put my mind to and that it is possible and that there isn't anything wrong with me. It was your mountain. It was my mountain. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So the lessons... So I've got to back up on this one point, right? I didn't actually know that you lived six seven years overseas on your own uh first the vc years were so what's vc so year that's basically victorian something it's basically certificate of education oh there you go used to be a teacher yeah he knows Uh, basically at the end of do they still call it vce i don't know if they do basically in every state it's basically the last two years of high school so you have primary school and you have high school yeah 
in high school the last year, year 11 and year 12 are your VCE, which is, I don't know why they call it that. You do because you're a teacher. Anything else you want to explain to tell our Italian immigrant over there? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you why. (laughs) It's just what they do. And then you get a score and an enter. And uh, people think it means the world to them when in the reality, often it doesn't. It means jack of shit. A jack of shit. That's what it means, a jack of shit. (laughs) You sound like sushi mango when you say that. (laughs) You live that long overseas. So, you by yeah. yourself, no parents. You on your own? No, no. So for for those those two years in um, those two years in China, I lived in a very professional team, and my mum was with me for the whole two years. All right. So my mum, my parents did sacrifice a lot. Um, she she left left my whole fam the whole family to to be with me, and she obviously she didn't trust me to travel by myself at sixteen and seventeen. Then when I went back to to Europe to to keep getting more match experience under my belt, that's I did all that by myself. 15? No, th- then I did that in my university years at about 21, 22. And, and then I would often go the back. team sponsored you and... First year I had to grind. I had to pay a lot of money to, to first get there by myself. And then when I got good enough, that's when I could make enough money to, to support myself. What was that experience like? Traveling by yourself and living out of the country and playing the spot that you loved? It was up and down. There, yeah. there were moments in Germany when... I love Germans, but they when you lose a match, they're certainly not like... Hey, it's a team spirit. Come in, come in. If you won, they hugged you. You were the man. If you lost at dinner, they let you know about it. Yeah. They let you know that losing wasn't okay. What would they say? So, yeah, ah, well, you had a lot of Polish guys, but most of them would be like, but why you lose? <laughs> but why? <laughs> this is not difficult. <laughs> you had some Austrians as well. Oh, that's hilarious. Gotta love it. My, and my team was one of the nicer ones. I mean, some people were really like, like managers would delay their pay because they oh, weren't really? happy and it's cutthroat, it's brutal, but you do get a lot of like, it's probably one of the reasons why Germany is so good at the sport. Does it pay good to play table tennis at that level? It doesn't. You really need to be, I think a misconception about sport <laughs> is that all athletes are getting paid yeah. millions like Novak Djokovic, but it's, it's the 1%. It's, it's the 1%, 1%. So, you know, there are a lot of good players out there, 50 in the world and they're financially struggling. That's the reality. Well, so it's not easy. If I can ask this question, it's a bit of a confrontational question, but was it worth it? Yes. Yes. It wasn't worth it because of the fact that I can say I'm an Olympian. I mean, that, that does. Being able to say I'm an Olympian, I played at home Commonwealth Games and some people know me from that, watch me in the crowd. That helps for the relationships. It certainly does. But the biggest thing is the skills that I've learned from that. And those are the same skills that will enable me to really be successful anything I commit myself to. Yeah, so I've noticed that I'll double down on that is that when you, you came to here, uh, I noticed that the same way I approach things, I'm like, yes, this is, this is the Olympian coming out. Like the work ethic of I'm going to obsess and everything else is just the distraction and this is, this is the only thing I'm focusing on to the point where everything else just, you don't even think about it. Uh, I noticed that trait in you pretty, pretty quickly. Hmm. So I can definitely see how that was developed in your formative years the obsession of singularity of task and becoming really outstanding one thing you were going to ask a question christian i was going to ask what's the age span in table tennis i think for chinese players it's definitely less because they they probably clump at about 33 so funny so no, 33 they retire I, i'd it's hard to say exactly because in china you, it's the norm to get a fake age okay um, all right so like when you're young that. you have categories like under 13 under 15 under 17 and I remember playing tournaments there. There were like big stadiums, 987 people in the first tournament I played. 
and I was 16. But to be able to get more matches, I got a license that said I was 14. So people usually go two or three years younger. And if you don't do it, you're missing out because you're competing with another guy who's lied about his age or her age and it's cutthroat. You can go to the police in one of these first world countries and get a fake age. And often Chinese players do retire at around that 33 mark. But really they could be 29. They could be 35 or 36. So I don't understand. So they make themselves younger. Yeah. So you pay the police. They do it for you behind closed doors and you got a new passport. And that's because you're physically more like powerful or like fast in the way you play? Well, more because... So you have more chance to win against somebody who's young? More because in, in China internally, it's so hard to make the national team that if you don't do it, you're a 16-year-old. If, you play, if you're 16 and you're playing under 16, if you don't lie about your age, you're playing other 16-year-olds who are actually 19. And yeah. that's a huge disadvantage. As in, it's more advantageous it's more to a 19-year-old? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so that's why they're just they're trying to get th- treat. Basically, what you're saying is they're trying to get three years of experience. Mm-hmm. Being like, I'm 19, but I'm actually 16. I've had three years experience because physically they might not look any different, but they're lying about the experience that they've actually had. So the more Correct. they can lie about their age, yeah, the better. Is that going on in Olympic Games as well, or it's more controlled? At the Olympic Games, once you're past 18, it doesn't matter. Yeah. No one cares if you're 35 and winning or 28 and winning. Oh, really? So it's in the junior years that people have most... They're most nifty about it. But it's, it's a weird situation because in China, you have to do it to make it to the top. It's the most cutthroat thing I've ever seen, trying to make the national Chinese team. Don't you feel like that's cheating? It is cheating. It absolutely is. Yeah, it's like it brings the whole performance-enhancing debate. Performance, you know, performance-enhancing... <laughs> I mean, look... It's, it's like, well, if you can lie about your age... Yeah, you can then, lie about something else. Yeah, like, I mean, that's pretty advantageous to lie about Did your you do age. drugs? For, for, for the record, <laughs> for, for the record, I played with an Australian passport. I did this in China so I could play more matches. Um, drug test. Actually, I got tested at 3 a.m. once. Yeah, that's what they do. Oh, man. That was probably the worst that I had because they woke me up mid-sleep. One time they came, for those that don't know, I do love the Australian Open tennis. But one time they came when it was... Two all, three all, and Djokovic was playing the dull. And I'm like, piss off. <laughs> now? Seriously? <laughs> Your hero is playing. And then you had to piss. Yeah, <laughs> and literally. I to, I to, and I couldn't piss, so they had to wait in my house watching with me. Did they find anything? <laughs> <laughs> they had to search, like. Awesome. Um, so I suppose for the folks listening at home, final thoughts, summary on going to the Olympics. Do you recommend it? I, I do recommend athletes. it. I, I really do recommend it. I don't think it's for everyone. Some people, and this is no hate to them, but some people like being a social player <coughs> in sports and some people are certainly good at that. But I think for those that really deep down, you can tell when someone has that fire, like one of my clients, Andy, he has that. He just has a lot of blockages that doesn't believe in himself. So when I teach him some of the mindsets, like I assume I'm going to win, I train myself to do that. And he sees that as arrogant because he's not yet aware. I would say people that really want to make it do, I would say for their parents, definitely it's worth the investment. Whether they make it or not is irrelevant. It's who you become in trying to be the best person you can. And what advice would you give to parents of a young athlete who perhaps pushing them towards a sport and think that pushing them harder is the way to go? What what are the, the top tips that you'd give to parents? It's a really delicate one because parents have, uh, you know, your child has an innate relationship with you, with your parent, which I don't, I'm not a parent, but I know that my parents would always push me to study harder and I would rebel against that. And it's not a coincidence. 
because they would always want me to study hard and they're like, table tennis is this relaxing thing, however you get in it, whatever. But in turn, they actually like, they actually push me away from studying and from table tennis, they let me pursue my own fire and my own desires. And they let me, they supported me by paying for me and being there when I needed it, but they didn't push me and they didn't yell at me if I lost. They didn't, they let me go my own way. So with parenting, it is a tricky thing because you're investing all this money into your kid being a tennis player or a hockey player. But ultimately, what's going to get them to succeed the most is you backing off and letting their coach do all the work and letting you, letting yourselves have a separate relationship with family and sport. Because when the two get mixed together, nine times, 99 times out of 100, it's really ugly. And the kid ends up resenting the sport. Love for what you do is the most important thing as well. Because if you fundamentally don't love what you do, you are going to give up that sport no matter how good you were, how much potential you have. But if you love the sport, an untalented guy or a girl, no matter how untalented you are, you will find a way to get to where you want to get to if you have that desire. So backing off is often the best way to support your child. It's a great place to uh, leave on. Uh, thank you, Hemming, for sharing all about your Olympic journey. I hope uh, everyone got a lot out of it. I sure did and didn't know that you lived so so long overseas. Mm. Thanks for watching the Enterprise Fitness Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, I have a simple ask. The ask is share it. Share it. If this has inspired you or you think someone who's pursuing professional sport would benefit listening to this, share it far and wide. We do it for the love of sharing great information on hard training, good nutrition, and living well. So my name is Mark Tobri, owner and founder of Enterprise Fitness. Uh, wherever you're listening to this, make sure you hit subscribe. And until next time, make sure you train hard, eat well, and supplement smart. Oh, hi there. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. While I've still got you, why not check out our book, www.enterprisediet.com today and grab your copy.